Welcome, dear listeners, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of our Theatrescapes podcast. My topic today is the construction of the Berlin Wall, which marks its 16th anniversary this year. On the 13th of August 1961, the Berlin Wall was erected. My special guest today that I really look forward to talking to is Rebecca Sturm. She is a PhD student uh, at LMU Munich, and she's doing her PhD within the framework of the ERC-funded project Developing Theatre, Building Expert Networks for Theatre in Emerging Countries after 1945. Rebecca Storm is primarily um, a theatre historian. She did her PhD, she, she did her master thesis about the Nazi time and the theatre in the Nazi regime during the Nazi regime. And in her PhD thesis, she's focusing on the role that the international theatre organization, the ITI, played in the framework of Cold War and cultural politics. And she's specifically focusing on the role that uh, East and West Germany played in the context of the ITI. Rebecca, I'm really, I'm really, really happy that you are my guest today. Uh, Welcome to this episode. Thank you. Uh, Yes. Thank you for having me. (laughs) I uh, I invited you also because you sort of suggested the topic of today, because we recall that um, we have the 60th anniversary of the erection of the Berlin Wall this year. And since you're dealing in your PhD with, uh, with that time period in in, yeah, specifically, you are sort of an expert for talking about uh, that time and the Berlin Wall and the role the, the wall played in the context of theatre of those days and maybe also in the context of the ITI and that we will, f- we will find out today yeah. during our conversation. Yeah, the Berlin Wall comes up uh, in my research. It's like, not often directly, but it's like this, I don't know, like this shadow hanging over everything that I look at. So, yeah. <laughs> A shadow. That's a nice. <laughs> it's a nice expression, uh, Rebecca. If I if I may, uh, I, I'd like to start with the with the first question. So the, mm-hmm. the Berlin Wall is, was erected on the thirteenth of August, and it was, as we all know, not just any building, but was specifically designed to seal off the German Democratic Republic, the GDR, from the western part of the city of Berlin, but also of the surrounding areas. The wall was roughly 107 kilometers long, 167.8 uh, precisely. Uh, and it was a stone wall of ideological, political and mental um, historical signif- significance for the people on both sides of the wall. We all know that it's still in existence, of, although it's, it's not there anymore physically, but we all recall uh, that wall um, in in the mm. in the German history, uh, can you briefly sum up what were the reasons for the construction of the wall? Why was it built at all? And can you briefly explain that again for our global audience? I think everyone in the world knows about the Berlin Wall, but it would be good to have a, a very short summary of yeah, yeah. why I, and where and who. I, I'm not sure if I can do it very short, but I will try. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like this question kind of has two parts. Like, why was Berlin divided in the first place? And why mm-hmm. was the wall itself built? 
Now, the building of the wall, of course, was not what divided the city of Berlin. Berlin had already been divided since yes, the end of yeah. the Second World War, when Germany was separated into occupation zones by the Allied powers, um, who also split the capital Berlin into four parts. And then um, when the two German states were founded, um, the separation of Berlin also remained. I don't want to go into much detail here. Basically, the Allied powers were arguing about the future of Germany, but in the background there was already the more global conflict between the United States and the Soviet Union, and Berlin was just right in the center of this struggle. Mm -hmm. um, in uh, 1948, there was the Berlin blockade, when the Soviet military government cut all ways, like all traffic, but also all power supplies into West Berlin for a year, in response to the currency reform in the West, basically to pressure the Western allies, who countered with the Berlin airlift to bring like, food and other essential resources to Berlin, uh, like via planes. So there were no doubts that Berlin was already a divided city in the post-war years. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, while the East German border to West Germany was already closed, the border between East and West Berlin remained open for much longer. So people were still able to visit, visit their relatives and their friends who lived in the other part of the city. They could go there, experience what the other Berlin had to offer in terms of culture, also buy things and all that. Um, so, um, which, which brings us to the main reason why the Berlin Wall was built. Um, the GDR claimed it was to prevent spies and instigators from the West to come to East Berlin freely, mm -hmm. which is why they called the wall um, Antifascistischer Schutzwall, which is <laughs> anti-fascist protection wall. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but even at the time, I think nobody really believed that. The real reason was um, a lot of people were fleeing the GDR um, like leaving the GDR was illegal, but that didn't deter a lot of people. And since the actual border between West and East Germany had been long closed, the easiest way to do so was to go through West Berlin. You went to West Berlin and then as a refugee, you were allowed to go to West Germany. Mm -hmm. So in the years before the um, Berlin Wall was built, I read like reports that when you went to the Friedrichstraße train station, you could always see crowds of East Germans actually leaving for West Berlin. Mm. Um, so that was a huge problem for the GDR. Uh, East Germany was not a very big country and these huge numbers of people leaving caused a huge intellectual drain. Uh, many of the people who fled were quite young and well-educated, like an education for which the GDR had just paid. And then they left. And um, mm. so the GDRs had a lot of jobs that couldn't be filled and the economy was in severe danger of collapsing. Um, meanwhile, people from West Berlin were able to go to the eastern part of the city and just buy up resources there because mm. it was a lot cheaper. So that also like made it worse. Um, and it also made the GDR look really bad internationally, like a place where nobody wanted to live. <laughs> and I mean, the GDR had not had a very good foreign image in the first place. It was not di diplomatically recognized by most countries out outside of the Eastern Bloc. Mm. And this really played into the hands of the West German rivals. But why not to the degree that the GDR claimed West Germany definitely was supporting and encouraging people who wanted to leave? Um, the situation had in the beginning of the 1960s clearly become like, quite unsustainable. Berlin and Germany they were so crucial in this very precarious balance of the Cold War. And the collapse of the, of the GDR would have thrown everything into chaos, so, which is why the border had to be closed. So what happened was in the night from the 12th to the 13th of August uh, 1961, the border police and other East German forces closed all the streets and all the railways leading from the GDR into West Berlin. And in the following days, they then began to erect walls and barbed wire fences. They also started to uh, like wall up windows and doors. And then under the supervision of the East German soldiers, the actual wall was built. Hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, it's still... Uh, it's 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 very difficult for me, very hard to imagine 
to imagine. You, you know, you, you wake up the next day or in the course of the next days and then there is a wall in front of your nose, in front of your house and you're, you're not capable of, of leaving Yeah, I, th I think that's what a lot of people describe it as a huge shock. Just exactly. the fact that the GDR was able to do that, to do that without people knowing that it was going to happen. Yes. Like to, to gather all the resources and then just build this wall. Mm -hmm. um, like the, the, the Allied powers, West Germany, like the intelligence uh, like agencies, they knew about the, that the wall was going to be built beforehand, like a few days before. But mm -hmm. for the people uh, in Berlin, it, it was a huge shock. Yeah. Yes, yeah really caused a trauma i think yeah well um in the in the beginning my, in my first question um i referred to the fact that it was not just a building or a structure an architectural structure but it was um, also a, a yeah a wall which is really really heavily uh charged with ideological mm -hmm. uh, impetus and so um You can also say the wall is a, is a symbol. It's not. It's one thing to talk about building a wall, but then um, the, the wall was really built. It was built. It, it mm -hmm. was there. Um, and I would like to know, uh, what do you think from a theater scholar perspective? We, we deal with performative turns and with performance theory. And I see it that you can say the wall The construction of the wall can be considered as a performative act. Um, yeah. What is your view of this e event from a theater studies perspective? Cool. I mean, I, I feel like you're definitely right with that. the The Berlin Wall was like one of maybe the most significant symbol, I think, of the Cold War. Mm. Uh, the Iron Curtain, which of course itself is a term bor borrowed from theater, was such a strong evocative metaphor. Mm. But nowhere did it become more visible, I think, than in the Berlin Wall. Yes. Building building a border wall through a city is very different also from building a border wall in the country. Like mm -hmm. a city has a lot of shared infrastructure that you can't just separate. And when you do it, it's like quite obvious where you have torn something apart. Mm. Um, so the, uh, the way in which it affects the people living there is also like just very tangible. So while the Iron Curtain is a very large concept, the Berlin Wall was a very easy visible shorthand for the whole conflict and I feel like that is how it was perceived also mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. there are also just so many spectators around all the time because it's a city there are so many famous pictures of the Berlin Wall like from its beginning until its fall um, during that period uh, when they were building the wall like a, a number of people still tried to flee like people slipped through mm. holes in the provisional fences there were people climbing out of windows and then either lowering themselves down on ropes made of bed sheets or jumping into these safety nets. Mm. Um, most people, I th believe, have seen a very famous a picture of a border policeman. Um, yes. His name was Konrad Schumann, mm -hmm. who, who deserted by jumping over a barbed wire fence he was supposed mm -hmm. to guard. And he, he wasn't actually the only member of the border police to desert during that time, but his jump was just so nicely captured on film. Yeah, And yeah. these pictures went around the world immediately. Mm. Um, so the Berlin Wall did what it was supposed to do. It did stop refugees and it did stabilize the, the economy, but it definitely did nothing to improve the GDR's image, of course. Mm. And, um, and it only continued like that. Like when the Berlin Wall was built, of course, um, and the East German soldiers guarding it were ordered to shoot people who tried to flee. Mm -hmm. So in 1962, a year later, for example, a man uh, tried to climb the wall, was shot and then lay in the death strip for an hour 
before he mm -hmm. bled out, in view of a West Berlin crowd and journalists, oh. um, without getting any medical attention from East Berlin, mm -hmm. which is like a very gruesome spectacle, but definitely a spectacle. And mm -hmm. like I said, it continued like that. I mean, we all remember pictures from from the fall of the Berlin Wall with people standing on the wall with German flags and all that. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's, I mean, you're definitely right with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you, you mentioned that um, before the, the wall was built, Berlin uh, had already been separated into the sectors. Mm -hmm. The American, the French, the Soviet um, and the British, like, uh, like the rest of Germany as well. Yeah. And, the, and Berlin was, um, was also selected as the city to, uh, to, bu to build the wall in or through Because, because it was the former capital of, of Germany. Um, yeah. It was uh, the, became Reichshauptstadt, the, the capital of the German Reich in the 19th century, in 1871. And uh, since I'm a theater historian as well, and I worked a lot about Berlin in the 19th century, in the early 20th century, I know how crucial the role of Berlin was as a theater capital yeah. as well. Yeah, it's There definitely was so a theater capital, yeah. Theater <laughs> capital. Uh, there was so much going on and even theater practitioners and troops from um, abroad would come to Berlin in order to watch uh, the, the latest performances. And there was a lot of traffic going on. Really, really interesting and um, vibrant city of theater it was. Uh, mm -hmm. So now if we imagine that the, um, the division of Germany and of Berlin uh, specifically into sectors, um, If we think through that, it also had a, a strong impact on the theater landscape of Berlin. How does the theater landscape look like in those times? And uh, can you, yeah, maybe you can say a little bit about Berlin and its theaters in times of uh, of these uh, divisions and also also of the in the context of the the erection of the wall. Yeah. Um, so when looking at literature about German theater history in the post-war era, I think usually East and West Germany are just looked at separately because, of mm -hmm. course, the political division of Germany also has influence on the theater practice and therefore like theater moves into two different directions artistically as well. So in the cultural policy of the state party of the GDR, theater was initially given a very important role and theaters in East Germany were supported accordingly. Like a lot of new theaters were established to create a new like nationwide network of theaters. And the function of theater in the GDR as, as a public space was to contribute to the development of socialism. At the, I think at the second party conference in July 1952, the, the decision was officially announced to make building socialism the fundamental task in the GDR. And at this conference, the artists were also called upon to create their works of art in the spirit of mm -hmm. socialist realism and thereby support this development. Yeah. So in the 1950s in East Berlin, there was a lot of discussion about how artists could best support socialism through their work, what kind of art would be most suitable for that purpose. Theater, like any other artistic expression, was supposed to reflect and affirm like socialist morals. Mm -hmm. And in order to implement this, the party and state controlled what plays were performed, cultural officials visited rehearsals, and, and theater artists often had to explain their artistic decisions to party representatives. Uh, mm. The conflict here did not arise uh, because the artists weren't committed to this task. Um, a lot of them were, but th what they wanted to have was discussions about what these socialist values actually were, not just have those dictated to them 
by the party. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in, in West Germany and West Berlin in the 1950s, there was no political control of the theaters, like on a comparable level, which doesn't mean that the theater did not also reflect the political sentiments of the time. Mm-hmm. So the theater in, in West Germany was regarded as the sacred institution of non-political high culture, where mm-hmm. all plays were timeless and not concerned with current issues and also preferably not concerned with the past. Um, there were some notable exceptions, but this was the general trend, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and also in like in West Germany, the, the theater became, I think, a bit more decentralized because a lot of the prominent theater artists uh, left Berlin. Like people, mm-hmm. for example, like uh, Gustav Gundgens, uh, mm-hmm. he left Berlin. So other like smaller centers of like smaller theatrical like cities arose and became more important. Um, mm. Yeah. So it, it does make a lot of sense to look at theater in the East and the West separately. But when you look at Berlin in the 1950s, I think there are still connections that are often forgotten um, mm-hmm. because the border, of course, was not closed yet. Like audience could go watch the performances in the other part of the city. Um, and even if theater developed into different directions than the two Germanys, the, the theater artists themselves were still able to talk to each other at the time. Mm-hmm. Everybody, mm-hmm. like everybody else in the city, the theater artists also still had contacts, sometimes from like the Weimar Republic days, from the Nazi past, but and also theater artists who came back from emigration. Uh, mm-hmm. shared a lot of common experiences, for example. Um, mm-hmm. And another interesting thing um, is that many theatre artists in Berlin also lived in one part of the city and worked in the other. Mm-hmm. Like these mm-hmm. cross-border commuters and divided Berlin are something that I think we don't really think about anymore today. But it was yeah. actually mm-hmm. a huge phenomenon that was the case not only in theatre, but in all fields and industries. In theatre, mm-hmm. there were actually a lot of theatre artists who worked in the East German theatres which were some of the most important and famous theatres in Berlin, but did live in West Berlin. Um, because mm-hmm. East Berlin had undoubtedly remained the theatrical capital of the GDR. Like The theatres mm-hmm. um, of Berlin belonged to a special class of theatres, which received the greatest funding from the state. East Germany had very many prolific, very important theatres um, that were well-known like in the German-speaking countries of Europe, but also internationally. And mm-hmm. they had some very important theater personalities of the t- time, uh, like, of course, Bertolt Brecht, the most famous, but also somebody mm-hmm. like Walter Felsenstein, for example. Yeah. So yeah. as an artist, it was very desirable to work there, but it was a lot less desirable to live in uh, East Berlin because, yeah. of course, because of the economic situation, but also because living in the West offered the artists some security from the GDR state and its cultural politics. Mm-hmm. So it made a lot of sense that people wanted to work at the very prestigious theaters of East Berlin, but mm-hmm. also not be totally dependent on the whims of East German cultural politics. Mm-hmm. And a lot of theater artists tried to do that. Uh, I mean, Brecht himself, of course, also kept his Austrian citizenship and passport, which many people always have interpreted to mean that he wanted to be able to keep a way out just in case. Uh, Walter Felsenstein, uh, who also mentioned, who was the director and the manager of the Komische Oper, mm. um, was also an Austrian citizen. And he also lived in West Berlin. Um, and he was far from the only one. Like, in the opera, mm. as, as, especially the number of musicians and singers from West Berlin was very, very large. Mm. Um, like more than half of the solo artists, the singers, were citizens of West Berlin. And mm-hmm. the party didn't like that because they accused these <laughs> cross-border commuters of uh, of a lack of loyalty and a lack of commitment to the cultural policies of the GDR. Sure, yeah. Yeah, um, and they tried to limit the number of these commuters. But in, in the field of the arts, but also in academia, the situation never really changed throughout the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah, so that is, I think, a very interesting situation that we don't really remember anymore. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, really very interesting what you just said. And it's, it also um, leads to a, another bigger question that I, I have uh, on my list here. Mm -hmm. And that's also now coming back to your PhD thesis and the topic you're dealing with in your, in your dissertation, which, by the way, will be submitted very soon. <laughs> yeah. so I really, really look forward to reading the, the final man manuscript. And I think it has some very important um, insights and new findings that uh, you are happy to share with the uh, community, with the world, so to speak. Uh, I briefly mentioned that you uh, deal with the International Theatre uh, Institute, ITI, which was funded in uh, 48 under the umbrella of UNESCO. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, to me, it's fascinating what, uh, what's going on in, the, in, in terms of cultural development and theater development after the Second World War, because uh, the, the arts were considered as a means to create um, mutual understanding and uh, contribute to world peace. And so the, so the ideolo uh, ideology was, uh, was great in those times. In any case, so the UNESCO was founded and ITI was founded as a uh, as an organization under the under UNESCO, and there were also very uh, uh, rapidly national um, branches of the ITI, and there was also uh, there were two branches in Germany, namely the the East and the West. Mm -hmm. um, well, yes, so that's. Um, You focus on the two parts of Germany, East and West, which became members of the ITI in the 50s. And it's, uh, it's, for me, it's interesting to think uh, through that. If I know that UNESCO is there for creating world peace and uh, understanding, and then we have, uh, you have to do with uh, one country separated in two halves um, that both are members of mm -hmm. that international organization. Uh, yeah. for fostering mutual understanding and cultural exchange and it's exactly that exchange which is sort of um, not paused as you just described but uh, it's uh, yeah it, it went into different directions uh, so how, how can I imagine that uh, one country represented by two parts they're completely um, opposite in terms of uh, their political ideological perspectives um so what role did they play and how can we imagine uh theater east uh, theater in east and west being represented at iti so <laughs> it <laughs> sounds a bit complicated and complex but maybe it's it's very easy I yeah don't know. no, no, no. I, i think i think it's very interesting first of all that you called it one country represented by two parts mm. um because that really touches on the heart of a huge problem here um, because the GDR of course would have disagreed with that viewpoint uh, they, they, <laughs> they wanted to be recognized as a sovereign state I know not, I know. One, not one half of, of Germany <laughs> of course um, and they weren't at the time like when when they became a member of the ITI so there was actually a large discussion about that because the ITI only specific, uh, specified that um, there was like one center per country allowed so there was a huge discussion about what is a country? Is the GDR mm. a country? Um, and yeah, and the mm -hmm. GDR, of course, tried to like uh, claim their like sovereignty, uh, which was not, not easy at the time. Um, and also for, for, for many people from all over the world, I think even for their own socialist allies, 
they they often didn't really consider East and West German culture as two separate entities. I mean, mm. for obvious reasons, because up mm-hmm. until recently, East and West Germany had shared the same history. They still referred to the same artists and thinkers as the cornerstones of their culture. Mm. So when people from other countries were interested in, I don't know, Goethe or even Brecht, they often didn't really care if the information came from a West or an East German source. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was very difficult for the GDR to claim this separate national culture, mm-hmm. which they needed kind of to be a, a separate, well, nation. Um, so it was very important, but also very difficult to differentiate oneself from, from the other. So that is like the core of the problem, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you're, you're, you're right. The, the, the inter-German rivalry definitely played a huge part in the way in which these like two ITI centers interacted, not only with each other, but also with the ITI network in general. And they weren't supposed to, of course, because the ITI was an NGO and had this like very lofty, idealistic uh, aim of UNESCO to unite people through art and culture and to prevent like further conflict by doing that. Um, but it was unavoidable, I think, that cultural organizations like the ITI were used to promote both like the Cold War and the national interests of their member states, because the GDR at the time was still very isolated. It, most of the world didn't recognize it as a sovereign country, um, which is why the only channels that were available to them were those that were supposedly like non-political arts and culture and sports, of course. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Rebecca. That it's so interesting to listen to uh, to you as an expert of that time. Uh, I remember from from my researches, which are historically um, before that time, but I had to go to several Berlin archives, um, theater archives. Uh, in in Berlin, and there are plenty of them mm-hmm. um, for for my research about the nineteenth and the early twentieth century, and uh, what I uh, what I found noticeable um, back then was that you could still feel and see the separation of archives uh, of Berlin East and West. Um, although I was doing my research in the two uh, thousands, so it's uh, um, long mm-hmm. after the 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 fall of the the Berlin Wall, it was still in existence and um, librarians and archivists still had to do a lot with um, bringing together, joining the the former separated archival material again. So I'd be interested to know more about the actual research you do. So what archives are you consulting and how how are you researching that, uh, the, the, the different roles and the similarities, but also the differences between um, the theater in East and West Germany in those days um, in, in the framework of ITI. Mm. And um, maybe the, the next uh, question I, I can add to, to this one. Do, do you think that the former division still plays a role in the archives? Is it, is it still visible or traceable in a way? Do you sense it? I don't know how, how else to, yeah. to ask that. Uh, hmm. What do you think? Okay. I mean, how, how, how am I researching it? Um, I, I, I hope carefully. <laughs> um, so a lot of, I do actually have quite a lot of material, um, uh, but a lot of the material I have from the East German side was written for the Ministry of Culture or with the knowledge that the officials from the Ministry of Culture would read it, which is something, of course, you always have to take into account uh, while the West German side doesn't really have this issue 
which funnily enough like makes the the people involved like look so much worse often um and it is very useful um the, the fact that there were two german centers uh, that i can often just quite easily get another perspective on an event to cross-check or to fill gaps um, mm -hmm. which does not always work and of course it's also something you have to you have to be very careful with that but it is a very nice side effect um the there are i think still like divisions in the archives um a very obvious one is like the east german center wasn't really a private organization how, how could it have been um mm -hmm. so you find a lot of material about the iti in the archive of the ministry of culture um, for the West German Center, uh, in contrast, you, f you find a lot more in the private house archive like, of the ITI um, instead. Um, and I, I feel like, especially with material from the latter part of the period, you can also just um, f see the differences between the material immediately. Like the layout and the fonts and the graphic design of the West German documents change a lot more throughout the decades starts looking very 1980s for example mm -hmm. um, like all the material i have looked at from the east german side visibly changes very little over the decades like the same paper it's still written this on the same type typewriters <laughs> although i mean the gdr did have personal computers but uh the material i looked at like doesn't reflect that at all um it's also i think felt just really strange reading documents from the last year or the last months of the gdr um because you read about these plans they had for 1990, about mm. the efforts to reform, about a lot of internal conflict, and a lot of very wrong assumptions about what the future would hold. <laughs> um, and you almost get this feeling of impending doom, mm. um, because you already know what will happen. And then yeah, yeah. when the GDR mm. ends, like the material just like also my material just ends. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, which yeah. is interesting. Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, you have that uh, rarely in uh, in historical research, so that must be very special. Yeah, hmm. really interesting. Now, as I said, I really look forward to to your to reading your study uh, as a whole. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Coming back to the wall, um, the wall, so to speak, fell in eight, 1989, mm -hmm. um, and it's it's now longer ago than the walls was in existence yeah. but nevertheless people say in germany the the mauer is immer noch da so the wall is still in people's minds mm. how do you see that huh okay so, so that's actually a difficult question for me to answer because mm -hmm. i was born about one and a half years after the berlin wall fell <laughs> in munich which is quite far away from the former inter-German border. <laughs> so I, I do remember seeing a few images of the shape of West Germany on maps mm -hmm. or on brochures. Um, and I, the inequalities, of course, between East and West came up and, and still come up in public debate, of course. Um, but out of this seemed like the very distant past for me. Mm -hmm. um, so, so the world was definitely not in my mind. Um, I mean, I went to... East Germany on holiday, I think, for the first time about uh, around like 2000. Mm -hmm. And while I knew that there had once been like a separate East Germany, mm -hmm. I, it didn't really, like, th that was never really real for me. Um, it was only when I went to Berlin now to research the history of the ITI and also just casually talked to friends there and let them show me the city that I really began to notice like the traces of this history everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, I can't really speak of this wall in the head phenomenon, mm -hmm. um, but I can I can definitely see how 
the way in which the reunification happened meant that the work of many artists and cultural institutions was more or less just cut off, like without receiving the proper send off or being mm-hmm. valued for, for their achievements. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, reunification turned out to be a much more difficult process. And like the inequalities between East and West obviously still exist. Mm-hmm. So I, I know how all of this can feel like ancient history while also knowing how in many ways it didn't. Um, like, I don't know how, how you feel about that or do you have like memories from childhood about the wall or like, does, is your like, perspective on that very different than mine? Well, uh, I don't see big differences uh, nowadays, but of course I'm a bit older than, than you are to reveal some secrets here. <laughs> And I, w- I was at school uh, when the, the, the wall fell um, and we, the, I think for me, the most visible sign was that uh, a new um, fellow at school joined our class and he, uh-huh. he was 17 already and he came on a trabi. So he had a trabi <laughs> already. He was uh-huh. uh, uh, in hands of a, 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 an early driver's license. Um, uh, so he came with a trabi, and it was the most visible sign for me back then. Uh, yeah. And and afterwards, of course, uh, when I did my researches, I still came across the separation of the archive coll- archival collections. Uh, then it became visible again, but I don't have that in my mind. I don't mm. have it in, in my mind. And then I worked in Leipzig um, at the University of of Music and Theatre. Hochschule für Musik und Theater, mm. and uh, I, I had the feeling that there was some, there was some, some differences um, compared to compared to the uh, universities and theater institutes that I had worked with uh, before, yeah. um, and they had the wall in their mind um, m- maybe more than I had. Yeah, but I think uh, it's. Yeah, it's very difficult. In- it's really difficult to explain. It's on. It's it's a feeling, and it's um, feeling a mindset that maybe shows in uh, certain practices. But uh, I don't think it's it it's in big existence. For me, it doesn't make any difference. Yeah, it's very easy um, for, for like if from a West German or former West German perspective. I feel like to just overlook it or to just not not notice it. Yeah, um, I think it's way more noticeable for for people who came from from that system and who's who saw like these like the way these cultural institutions changed maybe and mm. also see what was in some cases lost i guess yeah yes yeah yeah maybe yes exactly well yes but it's it's a difficult question i was just curious to know mm. what you think about that um mm. given your research and maybe also given your generation yeah um coming back to uh, theater research uh I don't find often um, younger colleagues, junior researchers uh, that um, that are fascinated by historical research. It's uh, although theater history is so interesting and global theater histories um, specifically, uh, as you guys know, um, I, I find that really fascinating. Uh, it's always for me very surprising uh, how little junior scholars are dealing with the theater history. Uh, and it seems if we look at your uh, curriculum vitae, uh, <laughs> you are very interested in theater histories. Yeah. You, you dedicated a couple of years to writing up your master thesis of theater in the Nazi uh, era. And now mm-hmm. you are uh, going 
one, two decades uh, ahead and are working on the, the ITI in the 50s and 60s. What is uh, so fascinating um, about historical theater re research for you? Huh. I mean, for me, like theater history was a revelation, I think. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> what I love most about this kind of research is definitely working in archives and working with archive material. Mm -hmm. I just really like the kind of, um, I, I call it like archival detective work. Yes. Um, yeah. where, you, where you have to search for clues to answer your questions and to trace like the, 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 these events, how, how, how they happened. I, I think like all contradictions and then the like, gaps in the archive material are always great, I think, because you always mm -hmm. know like, you're, you're, you're onto something. There's like some deeper mm. mystery to uncover there. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like that's, That's like what I really like about it uh, mm -hmm. the most. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Yeah, I like the idea of a detective um, <laughs> uh, research and a story, uh, which is it, it is. Yeah. And it, as you said, if you if you find lags, it's even more interesting because uh, you, you want to know the reasons for the lags. Yeah. yeah. No, it's fascinating. I completely agree with you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Rebecca. I think uh, we could we could continue forever. Oh, definitely. Um, It's a large topic. Yeah, a large a large topic. The ITI and uh, the the Berlin Wall and uh, theater yeah. research. We could probably um, like do a separate uh, episode just talking about uh, like the fall of the Berlin Wall and the role theater played in that, which is also very interesting. But I. Like, mm. there was no way to fit this into into this topic as well. Um, so yeah, it, it's a huge and interesting topic and. It's an interesting follow-up uh, topic for <laughs> the podcast as well. Maybe, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely it is. There will be an anniversary um, soon. <laughs> mm -hmm. Rebecca, I thank you so much for this interesting conversation. I had a blast. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you, thank that, you uh, for having me. I wish you all the best for writing up your PhD and uh, I look forward to reading it. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, I, I'd like also to thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in today. And for, for Aideen, who is taking care of the technical support uh, every time we record the, these episodes. I'm grateful, Aideen. Thank you so much. And thank you, dear global community and Rebecca again. Um, so talk to you. See you next time. Bye-bye and have a good time. <laughs>